what exactly is the meaning of fellowship with God? What is the meaning of fellowship with God? Now, before I proceed to try to explain what fellowship means, I would like to review to us the two systems that God operates in. God operates with two systems in the Bible. We need to look upon it critically so that we can appreciate the work of God, the dealings of God in our lives. Hallelujah. Then if we understand the two systems that God operates, we can now understand in what system is fellowship existing. In which of the systems is fellowship existing in. Now God operates the first system of God's operation is what we call grace. He operates with grace. And the need for grace is that we have a deficiency that our humanity cannot furnish. And so God introduces the system of grace. In the Old Testament, we had the system of the law. In the New Testament, we have the system of grace. But I need you to understand that grace doesn't necessarily come to abolish the law, as it were. But grace comes to give us the enablement to satisfy the demands of God. In grace, God is working. And you enjoy the product of his work. In grace, God is fulfilling the expectation. God is the one that is at work. In law, you are the one that is at work. Now, if you study your Bible critically, you realize something. You realize that the law had the ability to reveal that we were sinful. But the law was deficient in that it could not impart to us the ability to live above sin. So grace now comes into manifestation. And grace is the enabling of God so that we can attain to God's expectation. And when grace is at work, it is not by power, it's not by might, by the spirit of God and so grace does not present any occasion and any possibility for man to boast grace gives us an entrance into the love of God in so much that you will know that you do not have the ability to do the things that grace has begun to furnish so it is an open door for you to live a perpetual life of thanksgiving and of glory to God. 
Because in grace, God is the one walking. For instance, our salvation was such that it would require a man that had not partaken in the sin of Adam to stand as a substitute to procure that salvation. And David said, In sin did my mother conceive me. Indicative of the fact that if you are a product of the seed of man, you are a partaker of the original sin, and you are disqualified as being a personality that can stand and and provide substitute for the human race concerning the original sin. Only Jesus, who was a product of the Holy Spirit and the woman, was manifest without the original sin. And on the strength of that, only Jesus was qualified to be the substitute that we stand on the behalf of the human race. Are you with me now? Okay. So we receive salvation. The salvation we receive today and we walk in today and we experience today is a product of the exclusive sacrifice of Jesus. And we have been brought into the dividends of his sacrifice, that is grace. The Holy Spirit that we have received now, this Holy Spirit of promise that the prophets of old could not receive, we have received the Holy Spirit not because of anything we did, but because somebody paid the price so that we can so enjoy it. That is grace. We are part of God's family today. We are part of God's family and God's household today. Not because of anything we did, but because of a price that was paid. That is grace. In grace is God that pays the price. In grace is God that does the work. And you just enjoy that which God has procured. Hallelujah. Are you still with me? That's the first system that God works with. And in this system, God does what we cannot do to bring us to that place that He wants us to be. Wonderful. And many Christians see Christianity only from the standpoint of grace. Especially the faith preacher. Because in the New Testament economy, you must understand that we only appropriate by faith that which grace has made available. If salvation were not available by grace, you will not be able to appropriate it by faith. Your faith is useless if the provisions of grace are not available. Are you with me? It's useless. Your faith only draws that which grace has made available. And so the Bible says, by grace are we saved through what? Faith. The strength of your faith is based on the integrity of grace. You can be saved because grace has made salvation available and your faith has made salvation your possession. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? You can believe God for healing because grace has made healing available and then your faith can appropriate that which grace has brought and make it your own possession. Okay? The Greek word for that system is what we call lambano. Grace 
makes it available and faith lambano lambano faith becomes the machinery by which you possess that which is generally available and make it your own property are you with me so faith and grace work together you get it now so if grace is the vehicle that brings the commodity faith is the instrument that appropriates the commodity and makes it your possession if grace did, did not bring it your faith cannot appropriate it if grace did not make it, make it available your faith will be in limbo in fact your faith will be hanging on falsehood because there's nothing available for your faith to trap you get it now that's the first system that god works with he works with a system of grace and all we are today in god is a product of the grace of god we are part of god's house by grace we are part of god's family by grace we are recipients of the holy spirit by grace hallelujah our, our eternal salvation has been procured by grace and these things have been made available to us because somebody paid the price and simply put in grace god is working in the law you are working but i need to take us further because there's a second system that the new testament reveals to us and that is what we call the system of government system of what of government now we need to teach government again and again and again so that we can know government the way we know faith today because if we know government the way we know faith today we will become vessels of honor will become sanctified for every good work are you with me so the second system is a system of government now even though through grace we have become part of god's family even though through grace we have received the holy spirit hallelujah even though through grace we have received salvation is that not wonderful you must understand that in our work with god and as you progress with god you will see that god has principles that he cannot change for any man in fact the reason why god will not um compromise those principles is because grace is available you're not with me grace does not come to abolish government but grace comes so that we can fulfill the demands of government in the garden of gethsemane jesus began to pray and if there's anybody that knows how to pray is jesus and jesus had a prayer point and he prayed the prayer point one prayer point three times hallelujah i wanted to use that scripture to show us exactly what the bible means by vain repetition amen you know one of those days one of our colleagues spoke was teaching and then he now made reference to vain repetition 
And the way it was handled was not accurate with respect to scripture. Because Jesus prayed one prayer point, how many times? And it was not a vain repetition. Because if there's anybody that knows how to pray, who is that person? Jesus. Now, if we had time, I would have shown us what exactly is a vain repetition. In your prayer, your prayer can have a repetition that is not vain. In fact, that was exactly what was revealed in the prayer of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. But not for tonight, but I have determined that we will do a study on prayer. I have determined it and we are going to pass through the corridors of vain repetition to understand what it really means when the Bible says that you should not indulge in vain repetition and then he gave us a reference as the Gentiles do. So we cannot understand what Jesus meant when he spoke about vain repetition except we know how the, the Gentiles practice it. You get it now? I know you, are, you, are, you have already caught what I'm saying. And from that point, you can do your own study and get to understand what the Bible means by vain repetition. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus praying on one prayer point three times. Now, you see, if we look and profile the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it will shake your perspective of prayer. If we analyze what happened in Gethsemane. But you see, I just want to use the scenario because there are many principles revealed in the Gethsemane story. But the principle I want us to look upon and to amplify in that story is the response of God. Hallelujah. If you study basic Greek, basic Greek, and we go back to that scripture. Amen? Let me not trouble you with Greek, okay? Jesus said, if it were possible, oh God, let this cup pass away from me. That means he's trying to negotiate with God. And I need you to understand that as we grow in the place of prayer, you'll find out that there are several times you might even see a vision that somebody dies and you walk to God. You go before God. You can actually negotiate that person's life with him. Especially if that person's life or death does not, does not compromise God's will and God's purpose. It means it's a variable. You can negotiate it. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And so Jesus approaches the Father with an intention to negotiate the cup are you with me now? He said, Father, if it is possible. There was even a limit to his negotiation. Because in his negotiation, he knew that if it was directly linked to the will of God, that possibility would not exist. Nevertheless, just in case, it doesn't, it doesn't just have to happen. Just in case this cup is not a constant in the birthing of your purpose. And you need to know who he was praying to. He was praying to the Father. And in the book of Job, the Bible reveals to us the capacity of the Father. In the statement that was made by one of the friends of Job, 
the secrets of wisdom. By that statement, the, uh, uh, one of those, the friends of Job that made that statement that God is the custodian of the secrets of wisdom. And that became a Bible study subject for me. I wanted to find out what exactly does the Bible mean when it says the secrets of wisdom that resides exclusively with God. Are you still with me now? Oh my God. I say, are you here? And in my research, I came to find out that when reference was made to the secrets of wisdom, it was talking about a depth and a capacity that only God sustains by which he allows and occasions, circumstances and situations. It's only from the perspective of the secrets of wisdom that we can know why an event took place about your life. Because you notice the secrets is in plural. Are you with me? What is a secret? Something that is not hidden, it's not obvious. You can't even research into it because the tools for researching are not readily available. So it's a mystery, it's a secret. It's hidden. And the Bible calls it the secrets of wisdom. Revealing to us that there are many hidden things that which we don't know about that go into play to determine a situation. For instance, you may never know why you came from the family you came from. Was it not possible to you, for you to have come from another family? But according to the secrets of wisdom, it's not possible. Because there were many variables, many secrets that were intermeddled together to occasion your coming from that family. And only God has all the parameters and all the tools and they are confined within the context of the secrets of what? Of wisdom. And so when Jesus was approaching the Father in prayer and said, if it is possible... What he was doing was that he was appealing to the secrets of wisdom. And from the standpoint of the secrets of wisdom, almost everything and anything could be a variable. <laughs> you are not with me. <laughs> anything can be a variable. Do you realize that if I decide not to serve God now, the purpose of God will still come to pass because I am a variable. And Jesus knows that. I am a variable from the standpoint of the secrets of wisdom. And it's a privilege for me to serve God and to be part of his unfolding program because by the strength of the secrets of wisdom, he can make anything a variable. If you check your Bible in the book of Revelation, at the end of the day, nothing changed anything. Nothing changed what God determined from the beginning. Even though there were several people that did not fulfill their call, they did not fulfill their destiny. Some people died by witchcraft. Others were cut off. Many things happened, but at the end of the day, God's end still came to pass. Because from the standpoint of the secrets of wisdom, from the standpoint of that depth, anything can be a variable. And Jesus was approaching the Father with that knowledge in mind. And he said, if it is possible, can't we go around this cup can't we make this cup irrelevant? What is it about this cup, oh God? And you know, when you are praying to God, and God knows that you have discovered his secrets, it will be easier for you to influence God. When we go to the, we'll do a 
a series on, on prayer from Monday to Friday, just prayer. And we'll do that three times next year. Prayer. So that we'll grow in our ability to influence God. You see a situation is so terrible, but if you know how to pray and you know how to use choice words, you can unlock it. Have you ever watched when um, some of our sisters are plating Bob Marley? Can you see our sister there? Bob Marley. How many braids do you have there? Jesus. I hear sometimes they're plaited for three days. Just there. Make sure as you, as you are sitting there, you speak in tongues too, so that the time will not waste. The Lord, the, Lord will help. the Lord will help in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, if you see when they are plaiting the Bob Marley, there's a pattern that they weave it with. Take one, they put here, put one, put one, put one. And it forms a pattern. If you know how the pattern is, you will know how to lose it. You get it? If you know the secrets of God, you can influence God so much. And he has is open to influence. And if there's anybody that knows the Father, Jesus. And Jesus is aware of the secrets of wisdom. And he said, Wait, wait, I understand you, I know you. Nothing must be a constant with you. You can manipulate, you can you can chart a different course for the redemption program. Why is this? Let's negotiate this cup. The truth of the matter is that if the father, okay. If there was any time that the father would have shifted ground, it was that time. Now, let, let me tell you the story from the father's perspective. I'm just telling you from Jesus' perspective now. Let me show you from the father's perspective. I need you to understand very well that in the history of God, the father and the son have never been separated in the history of God. Think about it. Have you tried to think about it? Okay. And do you realize that in that cup that Jesus was talking about, that cup was manifested on the cross? Okay. Do you realize what happened when Jesus gave up the ghost on the cross? The response that took place was that the cutting of the Holy of Holies was torn from up to bottom. And you must understand that culture is affecting that text. Because in Hebrew culture, when somebody comes under heavy grief or heavy sorrow, he rends his garment. And when that thing was torn from up to bottom, they knew it was the Father. Because the Holy of Holies was his presence. And that cutting was his garment. They knew that it was a work of the Father. He tore his garment out of grief. Because he had experienced a separation which in his history he had never experienced before. So the father knew that that cup will bring about a kind of pain that he has not experienced in his history. So when Jesus was proposing a negotiation plan, can we not go around it was an option that was the best option for both parties. It was better for Jesus and it was better for the Father. At least he will escape 
a pain that grievous pain that made him rend the garment of the holy of holies rend his garment yes you may say also that when the garment was rent the presence of god became accessible but that's not what i'm talking about that is true but i'm, I'm looking at the father within the context of the story the rending of the garment was as a result of grief even though he made the presence available but i want you to see beyond the veil beyond the natural it was as a result of pain and grief but it was blessing to us anyway but it was pain somewhere so when jesus came and was trying to negotiate it was a very good position for the father and for the son but yet god decided not to accept the terms of that negotiation that one is called government you see the way if there's anybody that god loves is jesus how will the father refuse jesus jesus's request have you thought about that government that's how the father determined that it will be and nothing will change it as you grow in god you begin to realize that it's not just grace grace gives you the ability also to satisfy government because there are several occasions and several things that god will not change and shift ground because of you and in order to give you some comfort it will tell you that that is how it was with our fathers that walked with him it was the same pattern so that you will not think that god is partial are you here with me today and those demands that god can never put aside even though you are his beloved those demands are governmental demands and when we fulfill the claims of these demands what happens to us is that we gain more stature in the realm of the spirit and stature actually is a position of favor that we assume with god because we have yielded to the uncompromising claims of his government so fellowship is in the category of the things that are propelled by government relationship is in the category of things that are propelled by grace our relationship with god is a product of our salvation and it's a product of the fact that the holy spirit indwells our spirit and because of that you are god's relative even if you lie you are still god's relative you might fall upon a woman in fornication if the holy spirit does not leave your spirit and make your salvation null and void even right there with that guilt you are still god's relative i know you don't you're not with me i'm trying to teach the bible not your religion just teaching the bible okay I just want to teach the Bible. I don't want to teach your religion. Yes, somebody might say, okay, pastor, can we put a balance on that? How much can somebody partake in an error before he loses his salvation? Now, there's a difference between somebody that fell into sin and somebody that lives in sin. If you are, if you are spiritually held, alright, and by some means you fall into sin, eh? you will run back to God. But if you take your place in sin, let me stop there. Mm. <laughs> let me stop there. Let me stop there. 
Because even the best of us still make mistakes. Is there any perfect person here? Sometimes you still lose your temper once in a while. But not as frequent as before. It means there's progress. Are you with me? There's progress. And God still has something to work on in my life. I don't know, maybe you have finished working on you. But he still has issues to work on in my own life. And I discovered that I'm better today as I, than what I was last year. It means there's a progress. There's, I'm on the path of spiritual progress. And as I look at Christ, I see how far I still need to go. And I still keep going. And I keep, still keep praying to God about the situation of my of my temper, I still keep praying to God about the situation of, of, of that. When people offend me sometimes, bitterness crops up on the inside. I, I still need to be talking to God about it every time so that transformation keeps going on. And by the power of the risen Christ, you know, the power of God takes me beyond that. And it, it goes on every time. Are you with me? So there's a difference between somebody that mistakenly lied. And somebody that decided to live in line that I just use common sense. I just use common sense. That man is living on a risky pedestal. Are you with me? Don't let that not be your story. That you are here in this meeting and there is a sin in your life that you have accommodated and built a, a fence about. And you are camping there. Say, well, I just have one problem. Woman problem. And you label it. <laughs> Hallelujah. You label it and you patch there. You are deceiving yourself and you are wasting your time. And in that state, you can die anytime. You can be hit by any stray arrow. You can be cut off from the face of the earth. I pray that that will not be your portion in Jesus' name. But it is my duty to tell you the truth. Hallelujah. And you must also understand from the first day's teaching, because of the fact that there are several areas of the flesh that you have explored before, there is a high propensity that there is a weakness in that area. Hallelujah. If you have ever explored beer, beer before, your fellowship will star. Anytime you are passing somewhere and the, the aura of star gosses out there is a nerve that will still vibrate <laughs> I, I know even people are even laughing the way they are laughing now is with one side of the mouth <laughs> I understand it don't worry that's this way <laughs> amen and so the various areas of our weaknesses are different for each and every one of us. I was, I didn't have any exposure to women. Alright? But I, I took lying to a level that when I tell a lie, even me, I believe it. You don't understand it. I'd explored it to that level. And it doesn't mean that in that state I was better than somebody that was into women. Is we that classify sins from human perspective is as bad as somebody that dwells in fornication consistently. Do you understand? Let's not get it's the same grace that will deliver a liar, that will deliver a fornicator. 
Now, let's not classify things like that. Even though from biblical standpoint, I can tell you that the greatest enemy of our sanctification is intercourse. And what I mean, sanctification according to scripture is being saturated with God. You can be heavy on the anointing and if you fall upon a woman, the Lord give you understanding. I don't, how did I get here? All right, okay. Lord help me. In Jesus' name. And so it is worthy of note for us to realize that Jesus, who knew how to pray, who knew all the secrets with which to configure his prayers, offered those prayers to God, and the Father still decided that, no! And he used another prayer principle, which is the principle of perseverance, and he prevailed on God. He prevailed on God. There are several times in, in the life of prayer, God might say no about an issue. And you can still prevail and say, but see this scripture. You can actually tie God at a corner. Say, all right, all right, okay, it's all right. Not because he didn't say no the first time. He said no, actually. And Jesus used the principle of perseverance. We'll talk about that when we speak about prayer. So that every one of us will be strong in the place of prayer. But you will discover that as you are pressing into the place of prayer, before you begin to do business in great waters, there are several things that are wrong about your life that God must show you and say, fix this thing. Let me stop there. I don't want to double into something else. That's the manifestation of the government of God. And we must understand that by the fact that we are saved and the Holy Spirit lives within our spirit as a seal of our salvation, we are related to God. We are God's relative. And that's a function of grace. You didn't do anything for that to become your reality. Hallelujah. And somebody can wake up from fornication now. And guilt has covered him. And everything has covered him. But if the Holy Spirit in his spirit has not left him, he is still related to God. Are you with me? Ah. I'm just teaching the Bible. That's scripture. It's still related to God. At the point that the Holy Spirit eventually leaves his spirit because he has persisted in that. That guy is no longer saved. So it is possible for somebody to lose his salvation. Because the Bible reveals, God speaking said he, he, he has a, a, an eraser that can blot out somebody's name from the book of life. That means... A man can lose his salvation. But how far a man will go before he loses his salvation is not covered by doctrine. Mm, how much, how many times will he fornicate before God leaves him? It's not covered by doctrine. Because it is different from one person to another person based on the allowance of grace that is hanging on your life. It's not covered by doctrine. If we're trying to bring textbooks together and to bring theological arguments, we'll never find the answer. I've studied on those lines. I'm more curious than most of you. I've, I've studied all those stuff. It's not covered by doctrine. And I think we need to accept our limitations sometimes. Some things only God knows accurately. Amen? But if your Christian life is healthy and you make a mistake, you will run back to God quickly and ask for forgiveness without an intention to still pass that way. If there's still a hidden intention in your heart to pass through that corridor, even while you are asking God, my only plea. That's why I told you that prayers are not lifted from your lips 
prayers are lifted from your heart. That's where the altar is. That's where the Holy Spirit is. He understands the structure, the confirmation, the configuration of your heart and the desires that propel your audience with God. And He picks it right from your heart. So you can be saying something else in your mouth, but He picks it from your heart. And in that plane and that realm, He cannot be deceived because that's your reality. The Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so, so he doesn't need to come hear it from your mouth. But it's a, it's a prophetic. One of the laws. Okay, forget about it. Let's leave that one. Hallelujah. Are you still with me? When we come to the school of prophets, you realize that if you are somebody that persistently says something in your heart and says a different thing in your mouth, you can't be God's spokesman. In fact, your, your GP is on pass. You are, you are barely surviving. I will show you how much, how you rate in the realm of the spirit when your heart is different from your mouth. If, if you have a record of betraying people, eh? betraying people, if you have that record, and one, two, three, four, five times, you can't go far with God. It means you have a wrong heart, a bad heart, a terrible heart, a dark heart, and a black heart. And God's blood can wash that heart in Jesus' name. <laughs> Hallelujah. You see, sometimes chloroquine, have you drank it? It's bitter. But it's a drug. It's good for the bones. It can quicken you quickly. Sweat will just come and you start riding by a bicycle. So sometimes when it comes hard and bitter, just swallow it. Don't allow your tongue to touch it. Swallow to do good inside. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So once the Holy Spirit is still inside of your spirit, you are still related to God. But the fact that you are related to God does not mean that you are living in communion with Him. And I need to tell us that the word koinonia means sharing, it means participation, it means transport. Sharing, exchange, participation, and transport. Somebody say sharing, sharing. Exchange, exchange, participation, and transport. One more time, sharing, sharing. Exchange, exchange, participation, and transport. Number one, you see, when you begin to talk with God and talk to God, amen, you find out that God has this attitude of talking back to you. And it's necessary for us to know in the spirit of prayer that God does not talk much. But He answers much. So that means you must take the initiative to initiate the process. Please help me preach to your neighbor. God does not talk much. But He answers much. Oh my God, I'm beginning to feel the Holy Ghost now. He doesn't talk much. But He answers much. So if you are wise... You keep engaging him in discussions. And as you talk and God responds, it means he approves of your life. Because you can talk. There was a time like that because uh, Saul was not in alignment with God. God stopped speaking to him. And I will show you the things that can, can make God not to speak to a man. And when God stops speaking those days, the last bus stop is what we call the Urim 
and the Turim. The, the, the Urim is black and the Turim is yellow. And the Urim means no and the Turim means yes. And so when you inquire of God using the Urim and the Turim, and you, you say, are you with me? You come and say, Lord, where are you? Should we go? And then there are crystals. If illumination comes upon the Urim, it means no. If illumination comes up, is there crystals there? Glow! And when upon inquiry, if the Turim should glow, it means God is saying yes. That is in your spirit. Because you come to realize that 70% of God's speaking is not in words, but with signs. And the Urim and the Turim is an indication of peace means yes. Loss of peace means no. And that's the most basic mode of God's communication. And the Bible says that Saul was so out of balance with God, so much so that God stopped using the means of Urim and Turim, stopped using the means of peace and loss of peace. He was cut off from communication. But he was still an Israelite. Alright? And you can be a, a strong man of God, and yesterday you, you, you were the voice of God, you were hearing God, and then because of something that breaks out of alignment today, only that which you know is that which you received yesterday, and you are no longer current with God, is a, a symptom that you have become an old prophet. It takes perpetual um, compliance with God's instructions and God's dealings for you to keep your communication cable on. So, fellowship has more to do with government than it has to do with grace. Please help me tell your neighbor. has more to do with government than it has to do with grace. The truth of the matter is, in this house tonight, if all of us will look upon the scriptures that we want to bring forth today, and we attend to them accurately, you will be astonished that each and every one of us will begin to hear God very, very clearly. And if something is about to happen here, many people will know to the extent that even if a message is about to be preached, you can even pick it before the sermon begins. That is what we call the school of prophets. Everyone has been trained as to how to use the instrument of discerning God and discerning the mind of God. It's that kind of an army that the devil cannot reproach. Because even if one is weak, the rest are strong. And the strength of the rest becomes a strength of him that is weak. And you cannot find anybody to stab and slay because the corporate grace keeps the house in security. First John. Brother John knew so much about fellowship. I was running a research in the Bible today and I found out that John knew so much about fellowship. Where is um, Hillary? Where is Hillary? It's not here. Uh, Benjamin, get my ball. Get my ball for me. Alright, can we go to First John? If you are here, say Amen. 
Sorry, I just determined lately that I will be teaching the Bible long. Everything I know, I want to teach it now. Up here, up here, please. Everything I know. Everything that God has shown me. So that we can grow quick and grow fast. So that we can begin to handle holy things. And God can begin to trust us with strong things, with deep things in this generation. Are you still here? Amen. All right. Um, let's turn to First John. As we take that scripture and walk upon that scripture very well tonight. First John. Chapter 1. John knew so much about fellowship. In fact, it was John that defined what apostolic fellowship is. It was John that revealed to us what kind of fellowship should you be part of, just in case people are gathering. What are the signs that reveal that this is an apostolic fellowship so that you, are, you can join yourself to it? Because if it's not an apostolic fellowship, it means the basis, the motivation of fellowship is different from that which John is recommending here. And if you join yourself to that kind of fellowship, something else but the knowledge of God will grow on your inside. You become something different from that which should be. Do you, if you don't know, let me tell you today. Anywhere, any fellowship you attach yourself to will determine your destiny. You don't know. Ah. We have not found that one in the Bible. Do you realize that anything you believe will affect you? And if it happens to be that you believe the wrong thing, it will affect you. In fact, Paul's style of preaching, Paul had to crystallize a method of homoeletics, a method of sermon delivery that engendered the people's faith to be anchored on the power of God. And he did that deliberately because he saw the possibility of the people's faith being anchored on the wisdom of man. And if your faith is anchored, on the wisdom of man, the implication is that your life will be a life of vanity. For so many years, you'll be coming to services, coming to church. And if the fellowship is not an accurate fellowship, your life will never make any advancement on the path of spiritual progress. And it is in the book of 1 John, chapter 1, that um, Apostle John begins to give us insight as to what and what makes an apostolic fellowship. It makes a fellowship that you can be part of, that you can submit your destiny to, so that in that place, your destiny can begin to find expression. And the truth of the matter is that you must understand that, as we are here now, uh, everybody here has a different grace that he carries. And you need to know that some kind of anointings cannot be stirred except you are in the right climate. You cannot pray to a minimum throughout your life because of the atmosphere you are under. And sincerely, I'm not saying what I'm saying because I'm trying to advertise. I know the flesh, the flesh 
manipulates in on several frequencies. You might just say, okay, uh, yes, this guy. <laughs> Let's leave that one aside, okay? I'm just telling you. Because very soon from now, some of our brethren will be going for youth service. And when you hit the youth service ground, you might attach yourself to a fellowship that is not apostolic. It's not a type that Apostle John identifies. It's not a type that he x-rays in the book of 1 John. You will just go for that one year, and that one year might be the reason why the next five years of your life will not be accurate. And you will need a bulldozer grace and anointing to cut off the effect of that error that has been joined to your soul. Hallelujah. You see, somehow, maybe because of the privilege of the grace of God, I have traveled so many places preaching the gospel. There is a place I've, I've gone to in the north and I wept. Why did I weep? There were so many false preachers in that place and they had, they had damaged the destinies of people. Up until today, somebody sent me three text messages about the damage. Three text messages. This is what I've become. This is how I've become. Just because you meandered into a place that doesn't have all the traits of the apostolic fellowship that John begins to give to us in the book of First John chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Don't joke with your destiny. Don't joke with it. Should I tell you something? Um, the truth of the matter is this. I know a lot of guys here are anointed. I've, I've felt the anointing on their lives many times. But do you understand what I'm talking about? If a pastor goes and founds a church with and that church is not founded on an instruction oh my god everybody that comes under that church is going to be held under the sway of familiar spirits do you understand what i'm talking about as far as the bible is concerned god only works if the spirit of god is working just in case the spirit of God is stops working, it means God's work has stopped. You guys don't know how serious the things I'm raising are. You don't know how serious they are. Uh, have you taken time to look around? Maybe on BSU, those people from BSU, have you checked? Have you gone to check around what what the, what is being done to the destinies of men in that place? Jennifer, have you? Just move around one of these days. Just move around with a free mind. And you test the texture of what people fellowship with. Or fellowship in. Do you know that those things will affect your life for the next 10 years, next 5 years, next 15 years? The most terrible person you can meet is a preacher that is not accurate. It can influence your life in so many ways. Than you know. And that's why they, they need to be accurate. They need to build with precision. They need to be close to the Holy Spirit. They need to, to, to have the Spirit speak to you and the Word confirm it. They need to have the Spirit inside, the witness of the Spirit inside, and the Word on the outside, so that with both hands you can clap. They need for that. They need for the pressure. They need for the stress. They need for the emphasis, for alignment and precision. Is so that there can be a pipe 
that gushes out with the grace of God, with the strength of God, and that's a blessing. Are you with me now? It was John. Because he has so much insight about fellowship. So he even gave us the definition of corporate fellowship. And then he started giving us the definition of what? Personal. Oh, you guys are not. You are not with me. Now, if I should start opening what John said about corporate fellowship, we will not finish today. Hallelujah. We'll not finish today. We'll certainly not finish today. And that's not my emphasis. My emphasis is to highlight what? Um, personal fellowship. So we may need to jump. We need to jump a few verses. Hallelujah. We need to jump a few verses and just go straight to personal fellowship. I know a lot of us in the near future, you'll be pastoring people, you'll be establishing the government of God in territories, bringing the perspective of God. You need to be thorough. You need to be very thorough. Very, very thorough. Because you'll be challenged with several responses, challenged with several troubles, challenged with several things. You must know the position of the scriptures and the position of the spirit and you are under oath to be accurate every time. Oh... You see, being a pastor is not, it's not a job description. It's not, help me now, it's not an occupation. It's something that you can never be except you have the grace to be. It's a call. And if you don't have that call, you are not it. First of all, let's find out how do ministers evolve? Have you asked yourself? You don't know. In your Bible, how did ministers evolve in the Bible? Now, this is a fellowship. Are you with me now? According to the Bible, the people, the person that God has put in authority over that fellowship should have identified a concentration of the grace of God on you. That's number one. Then number two, he must have trained you as a spiritual son. Because if you are going to be ordained, the Bible instructs that lay your hands suddenly on what? In fact, you must have been tried in other capacities before you are the confirmation of the grace of God that you carry. By ordination will be done. First of all, that grace, if it's an apostolic grace that you carry, it must have been identified in the fellowship. And then, when the apostolic grace is identified, you must be discipled into an apostolic ministry. Are you with me now? And then a platform will be given to you to manifest your call. When you now manifest that call effectively, that's when they call you back and say, you have the anointing of an apostle, you have the ministry of an apostle, so we ordain you to confirm you that among men in the body of Christ, by the license of my own integrity as a preacher, I proclaim you one.
A Bible school does not involve a preacher. And when we check the gospel that is preached within that church, you know it's a gangantuan project. Project that has lips but it doesn't have to buy. Somebody might go there and submit his destiny. Meanwhile, the man preaching does not know Jesus. In Bible school he went to and then they laid hands on him and conferred him a preacher to be a shepherd over the lives of men with a view to bringing them from their need into their purpose. He cannot do that. Sorry. But that you dress there on Sunday morning and you sang. You know, we know how to. Hey! We will not change the matter. The problem is still there because the accurate manifestation and the accurate presence of an apostolic fellowship is not in view. Anything that evolves out of that system is an aberration. It will promote more of the ideas of darkness than that of light. Are you with me? And so a time will not come. How they say? God has said that some of our pastors use witchcraft power. It's wrong and you are cursed if you are using it. Wait. How did a man become a pastor? He's using witchcraft power. Eh? What system brought him into pastoring? That's the system that we need to attack. Not that there are people that use occultic power. If he was able to pass through apostolic fellowship, he would have been identified as Simon the sorcerer. But if the system did not have the propensity and the capacity to identify him, that system is not an apostolic fellowship. Even Maharaji can come there and become pastor if he follows the protocol. You don't get it. It's a danger for you to join your destiny to something that is not accurate. Fellowship is an issue that is very deep in the economy of God. It's not something we play about. It's something that's our life. And the Greek words, the, the, the renderings of the Greek word koinonia in these levels, sharing, participation, exchange, and transport, talks about the four levels of fellowship. I mean, personal fellowship, yet, not corporate fellowship. Are you here? You are not with me. Let me press further. Paul was the one that said that if he departs that grievous wolves will come not sparing the flock. That's where we deduce the principle of apostolic covering. That as long as Paul was there the wolves could not come. But when Paul leaves the wolves will come. Now what is? I've traveled around a little and among campus settings, there are many wolves. There's darkness. And the lives of men, we don't know there's problem ahead. The people we are going to pastor, men, the demons they carry, the things they are tossed. Pastoring cannot be the way it is now in our time. It can't be. Because there's a call. There's a higher call than you know. There's an op- the devil is planning for the next 10 years right now. Digging trenches in the lives of men, exposing people through false people standing before them, 
to, to touch darkness literally. Hallelujah. See, if not for anything, we need a stronger anointing to minister to the people in our generation. Because they know they are exposed to darkness. Not that we desire a, more, a heavier anointing, but the truth is to do the work in our generation, we need it as a basic requirement. That's the why we are teaching what we are teaching. I know it's not this the things we teach is it's not the best kind of teaching to a canal man. A canal man will come here and not want to stay. Because it's not the teaching does not meet his immediate need of getting money or marrying a wife and all of that. But the, God must have a people before he can move. He must have a people that are sold out to him. That's when you will find the true secret of the kingdom. That when we begin to seek God, God will cause everything, your wife to come, your vehicle to come, everything to come to make you more effective in the business. And across the nations, there are not many of them. Accurate people standing for God to see that a generation is raised that can receive the baton. The baton hanging in the realm of the spirit. And I believe that one of the things we must be exposed to is what true apostolic fellowship is. You might go to a big city like Lagos and not find too many. Talk more of a small city like Zaria. Hallelujah. Can we say the truth? You know, it's not good to hear it. It's... Are you still with me now? Can do damage to the lives of men. But when you are under true apostolic fellowship, you just, you see grace operating your life. Not because you prayed for it. It's, it's there. Because God is looking for where to express himself. But we need to pay a price to deliver him to our generation. We need to pay a price so that the weight of his grace can hang on us, can rest on us. That's a price to maintain fellowship with God. Now come with me. Let's jump the corporate one. Next year, I guarantee that we'll go into that. Because we need like seven days, eight days to really talk about apostolic fellowship. The dangers of staying under fellowship which is not accurate. And then we'll look at some prototypes. Take some prototypes. This kind of person will be conscious of demons. Because in the fellowship he is part of. The lack of balance of our New Testament posture. That is sustained in that place has projected a superfluous image of the person of Satan. So much so that Satan is in every prayer point. There's a prayer booklet that gives honor to Satan and the people become sensitive to Satan and these are the infirmities in their lives. And they were innocent people that were just going on the streets like that. It was until they came to that fellowship that they were changed, their heart was configured with that emphasis. Do you understand what I'm talking about? It will affect them for many years. Come with me. 
as I try to round up so that we can pray. Because we really need to pray for the body of Christ. Yesterday, as the service ended, and so many people were coming to shake me, I was praying for people and all of that. Somebody came and brought a parcel. So I took it home. I didn't even look upon it. My friend asked, what's there? When I unveiled it, I, it was one book. And the title of the book is 99% of churches and ministries are leading people to hell. I said, my God, where are we? I said, alright. Then I turned the back. He said, divine revelation from Jesus. No, let's not criticize him first now. Let's hear what he said. I assure you, that one was not fake. The one in that book is not fake. And in one of these, you know, some, uh, classes, we just, I will bring it and read something to us. Amen? See, God has called us to recover something that is about to die. You must know it. It must enter you. Just in case you are here and you are a music minister, understand your generation. God wants to rescue something. In your in the message of your song, if you, if you have an album, there must be a rescue song there that you are proclaiming to your generation. Everything takes the pattern that is the prophetic re, reveals. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Direction, music, everything takes the pattern of our current revelation in God and the current crisis facing our generation. Teaching takes that pattern. Preaching takes that pattern. Strap prayer. Praise and worship. Everything. That's how we become an army. And we can facilitate the agenda of God in a day and time. Amen. First John chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Sorry, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Huh. My, my, my. This man is saying there is a message. Many people have tried to convey it. But they have not been able to convey it in simple plain language as I'm about to do now. Because I've received some current inspiration that have demystified those revelations. And I've been able to receive it in such a form that will not create any form of ambiguity. This is the message that we have received from him and we declare to you. He's saying that I just start this one now from heaven. This clarity had not been until this time. But I thank God that he has brought about an inspiration. Now I understand the message that we have received more clearly. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Did you get it now? On the basis of this premise. Because this is going to be the premise upon which he is trying to establish the, what fellowship is. 
that if you are going to have fellowship with God, then you must of necessity know that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. I need to take you a bit back. A bit back. Because if I take you back to this brother's first gospel in the book of John, chapter 4, verse 24, it was John that said, God is spirit, and them that worship him must worship him what? In spirit and in truth. It was still John that said that. It was still John that revealed to us that God is love. Oh, I wish I had time. Would have gone to heaven and carried out an investigation using the eyes of scripture and revelation. And you come to see where John wrote his book from. Where he received his inspiration from. And why it was John that spoke about God so clearly. God is spirit. God is love. And God is light. What exactly is John trying to make us understand here? Well, even though we don't have time to go into all of that, it would have been wonderful going into it. But you see, a man that is going to have fellowship with God will be interacting with God as light. You must know that. Fellowship is predicated upon an interaction with God as light. It is in fellowship that you will know God as light. I know you know him as spirit. Intangible. You cannot touch him with your natural senses. He moves inside of you. And when he speaks into your spirit, because he is spirit, we can only contact him with our spirit. And so we must know how God communicates because when he does communicate, he communicates with spiritual language. And then we need to increase our vocabulary of spiritual language so that when God begins to communicate, because his spirit will get to perceive him and articulate exactly what he's trying to say because he does not, he's not man, he's not flesh, he's spirit. When somebody says, God appeared to me, and then somebody now came and said, what did he wear? What was he? So he's, his perspective about God is so wrong and you know he's not ready for an encounter yet because he's asking a carnal question what did God wear? <laughs> he has not <laughs> he has not acknowledged the fact that God is do you understand what I'm talking about here? but we get to understand God as light and if we want to teach God has lied to take a long time anyway. But you see, it's in the place of fellowship that we encounter, interact, and relate with God as light. And so the premise upon which he is about to found that revelation is upon the message that we have received. Say, know this. God is light and in him there is no darkness. He said, no, that one. Okay? Are you here now? Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, just in case we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, 
will lie and do not practice the truth. The word I want you to underline is practice. Somebody say practice. That means that if it is true that we are fellowshipping with God, it will impact upon our conduct. How can I help us? Okay, let me try. Let me try. Now, I need you to understand that John, the beloved here, is a prophet. You get it? So John is telling us, he's testifying about things from the position of the spirit. Are you here now? From the position of where? Just in case you've been an evangelist and you like seeing people coming to the altar giving their lives to Christ on a crusade ground. Amen? And after a mighty crusade preaching, so many people, about 500 people, walked up to the altar and surrendered. And they also now counted 500 people. Decision slips were given to 500 people. Follow-up plans were being made for 500 people. But if John comes on the scene, he will show you that not all the 500 people gave their life to Christ. Because John is coming with a testimony from where? The spirit realm. He's trying to give us discernment so that we will not, will not accept Simon the sorcerer into our fellowship and say he's a brother. Meanwhile, he has not yet given his life to Christ. It was when Peter came from Jerusalem that Peter was able to identify that he was full of unrighteousness. He was full of all wickedness. He was not part of the fold, but in the evangelical ministry of Philip, he has already absorbed him into the church, even trying to find a place for him in the eldership board, and he was going almost all the way. Because he was running ministry the evangelical way. He took the coming of the apostles to uncover false believers, false preachers. Every time the apostles come, Everything that is not accurate is under threat. You are not with me. Do you get it now? So this guy is trying to give us a little bit more insight so that you just discover that not everybody that came to give his life to Christ eventually got saved. I know I hit somebody, but it's just the truth. Not everyone will accept them into hey, welcome. You, you journey for 32 years, you are back home. Oh! And then you embrace him. Meanwhile, as, you know, pastors like embracing members, say, come, we have communion service. And one of those days, if you are not careful, you will embrace a scorpion. <laughs> so, <laughs> in doing... <laughs> In functioning in pastoral security, we need the prophetic discernment so that you will not embrace a scorpion. And it's the writings of the Apostle John that shows us things from the perspective of the spirit realm so that we can have adequate discernment on ground. You get it now? So that's where he's writing from. And if we had time to go through God, is spirit, God is love, and before coming to God is light, it will be so clear. And we, we must do that. Hallelujah. So this guy now comes to show us the situation from the perspective of the spiritual. And he starts by telling us that God is light. We have found it. And please, we need to know, because that, that um, 
form of rendering is a metaphor. What does he mean when he says God is light? Then you need to stop your study and go to your internet and find out all the characteristics of light because all of them are applicable in this context. Are you here? Notice that light is such that it cannot be hindered. If I stretch my torch here, unless there is a wall, light will still keep traveling. has the ability to pierce. Light brings about illumination. Light makes things manifest. Whereas a man walking in darkness would like, want to hide himself. And if you like hiding yourself and there's something you are hiding here, the truth of the matter is this. John has given us insight. It means you are lying that you have fellowship with God. Because if it is true that fellowship with God is on the increase in your life, you don't need to hide nothing. Because you are operating in the light. And light is that which makes things manifest. And so you don't have anything to hide. I tell you the truth. You can probe my life to my cupboard. The man you have seen here is the man that I am. Probe it to my office. Probe it to everywhere I've walked in Kano. I can give you the address. Probe it to Abuja. Probe it. My darling wife is there. She'll give you a testimony. I'm not perfect, but I'm a good man. I assure you I'm a good man. Still working on some things. But I tell you, he has done some work on my life. And if I deny it, it's not humility. It's a lie if I deny it. Because I know where he took me from. Years of work. Years of work. Chiseling. Chiseling. And some beauties begin to come out now. And even next year, more beauty will come out. And the other year following, greater beauty will come out. And it just keeps coming out because the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more. Tell your neighbor you only get better. I don't care what situations hold you down now. If they don't kill you, they only make you better. Sometimes God needs to allow some bad situations come our way because he knows how better we'll become. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? God is light. And if you begin to walk with God, you will now discover that you don't have any secret. Because God will make everything manifest, even the deep secrets of your heart. As you begin to fellowship with light, he will begin to make even your depths manifest. Your depths manifest. He will bring out those hidden stuff and he will make you see it so that you can deal with it. So that the spirit can have authority and permission from you to reach out to that place and to begin to do excavation. And excavate all the people you are buried in your heart. With, with, with bitterness and with malice and he begins to excavate and someday, sometime you meet them face to face and there's no more pain because there's light God is light and in him there is no darkness at all if we claim that we are in fellowship with him and yet accommodate darkness and walk in darkness and the deeds of darkness have been practiced in our lives, we lie. The prophet has told us that if it's true that you see those things, that man has no fellowship. So that we will not be confused. He's helping us. If we had gone to God is love, I will show you how to know whether somebody is born again or not. I'll show you. John said it. 
so that you don't hug somebody that is a scorpion. Are you with me? Somebody, before he came for the crusade ground, he asked Azor shrine in his backyard. Azor spirit. He used to dance to it in the night. Naked. Okay? And he came to the crusade and the, the message went on and then he, he came to the altar. And then his heart began to say, Azor shrine. He hid it. You know it's not born again. It's not. Because the day he gets born again, he will, you don't need to tell him he will reach back to that shrine. Because God is light. If it is true that it's the light that shined on his heart, that darkness cannot stay. The light, it can penetrate any kind of darkness. And if you still see darkness there, forget it. He doesn't have fellowship. That guy that went to do that shrine, he has to come and bring the shrine and the covenant will be broken. And then, that's when he's released from the darkness. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And just in case you have been coming and coming and you have the one you tie on the waist and, and sing in the night, Oh, Billy Ma, yeah, Oh, Billy Ma. Oh, Billy Ma. Oh, Billy Ma. We need to be strong. We need to be strong and accurate. So that any territory we enter, when the prince of this world comes, he finds nothing. There's none among us that you can slay. There's no one you can reproach. You can't strike. Cannot. Because you have no property with us. We are sons of light. Oh, I remember Idahosa. In Benin, those days where there were armed robbers, White men came to visit him and never took life. And there was no desire to buy, few, uh, no desire for the generator. So they opened the window. Alright? And no net, no burglary. That's how he built his own house. No burglary. And thieves now enter and put gun on the white men and ask for their money. So some of the pastors peeped through the pigeon hole and ran to him and said, Papa, Papa, thief, don't come. Let's pray. Said no, I prayed before. You know, <laughs> he said I prayed before, and he came, and the man jumped out of the window, and then put their guns. They said he opened the door and said, "Who are you?" They said, "We are sons of darkness." He said, "I am the son of light. Are you ready for me? <laughs> are you ready? Are you ready for me?" End of story. One night he waited till 12, went to the house of the leading witch in Bidi, took her in his bands, put her where, drove her to the water and said, Manifest now! She begged for her life. He's a son of light. Son of light. If you want to command power like that and tread on serpents and scorpions, fellowship in the light. And let every trait of darkness I tell you, you can slay. You can slay something. You can kill something. And come out free. And when the witches look for... You can remove their teeth. And when they look for who to strike, they won't see anybody. Because all your deeds were wrought in the light. If a man could operate like that, at least in our own generation, I desire to get there. I won't sleep. I won't sleep the sleep of death until I've seen the glory of... I'm determined. 
I'm determined. If you can allow malice hide in your heart for three days, you don't have a vision of Christ. You have not seen him before. What was the point? What will you do to me if, I'm a, if you insult me in public and I refuse to answer you? What will you do to me? Friends, let me tell you. The most important personality is the Holy Spirit. The most important thing is the anointing. Somebody, an external person, cannot diminish the anointing in your life. And you can't drive away the Holy Spirit. Only you can drive away the Holy Spirit. Only you can compromise the anointing. So if you like, abuse doesn't change anything. Once the anointing is there, a, a day will come where all men will keep silent and you'll be the only one that will talk. So our fellowship is in the light. Can you handle that? When you are into a relationship and the thing is going, eh, and you need to be hiding, and you are hiding, you are from floodlight, you are looking for no care touch light, to candle light. Just hold yourself. One of the days, hold yourself and move to daylight. Just because if you are fellowshipping, anytime you are hiding to do works and you come to fellowship, the x-ray, yeah, you will know it. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Amen. I know the times in the meeting where the amen, yeah, yeah. when it's going down, at that point, God is, is winning. I say Hallelujah. The Lord, the Lord be praised in the name of Jesus. Can we read verse 6 and verse 7 as we just round up and pray, begin to pray tonight? If we say we have fellowship with, with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Let me stop there. We have fellowship with... Do you realize that if it is true, that's why you can't marry somebody that's not born again. If it's true that I'm walking the light, my wife is walking the light, you get it? It will enhance our fellowship with one another. If we claim to walk in the light. You know, we, are, we don't think the same way, so we have misunderstanding sometimes. It's, it will happen. It may be that maybe I heard a story, I didn't hear it well, and I believed it, and it's wrong, and I begin to relate with you from that standpoint. Misunderstand. But if it's true that I'm walking in the light, and the Bible says light is that which makes things manifest, and as I'm fellowshipping with the light, the light will now show me that, oh my God, I had the wrong perspective. Do you get it now? So I now go back and say, I'm sorry. It will impact on our fellowship with what? One another. If we cannot have a corporate existence of love and the Holy Spirit, we are carnal people. Do you get it? And it doesn't matter our differences. 
because you may not understand that the purpose of our differences is for strength, not for division. We don't need to be the same to be one. It's cloning that makes all of us the same. And that's not God's system. Because God does not build with blocks. He builds with stone. And all the stones are different shapes and different sizes. It's not God's intention for us to be the same. It's not God's intention for us to talk the same. It's not God's intention for us to preach the same way. Be you. It by all means, something maybe that operates in my life begins to operate in yours. At least you know it's by impartation. You do not copy it. When you find a thief man trying to preach and he's, he's preaching like Yoruba man, then that, the name of that is cloning. It's not impartation. It's cloning. It's of the flesh. It's darkness. It's a walk of darkness. I know you, you, you not believe me. I've suffered. You don't know. I would have been better today. I would have been better. If not that we went into the bush and were looking for God where he was not for many years. I, Jesus. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> See, let's walk this. Let's walk with God. Let's walk with him. You can be you. But if there's an impartation and something begins to operate, at least you know God did that because your heart was yielded and then an anointing began to operate in your life, which is in the life of your leader. That's how it's supposed to be. There must be a, a part of your leader that will come upon you. But that will be by impartation, not by cloning. Not that I force you to wear my hairstyle. Because the one I'm wearing now, I went to the barber and he made mistake. That's why I'm wearing it. So all, everybody now comes and wear I, the guy just used a clipper before I could say what? Yeah, he went to the and I knew that I was a Christian. But if if you lose your Christianity that time, you might do something. Mm. I'm coming to preach in the program, and then he now took clipper and located the angle. Floor the earth. So I, I'm, I have to allow it to grow. So if you, you, you don't know that it's a mistake. I say, Pastor, don't bad like this. So, you see, you, it's a mistake. Just be you. And let the grace function. Let it mingle with that which you have. You receive the one from, the, from your leader by inheritance. That's your inheritance. There's a measure of his grace you will walk in. His spirit will stand with you. Many times in dreams he will appear. Do you understand what I'm talking about? In your dreams. And things like that begin to happen because there's a spiritual relationship. But it's not by cloning. Do you get it? If it's true that we are working with God, amen, it should enhance our fellowship with one another. So there's a, an inner pool of love that attacks me to that brother. I can't even think of stabbing him. And if, no matter what he does wrong, I'll pray for him. Because your brother, it's a spiritual family. Do you get it now? No, you don't understand. That's what fellowship is. That's what church is. It's a spiritual family. The sick man in that place is like a spiritual father. And you must understand that it's a responsibility to, a spirit, to be a spiritual father, not a title. To take sleep from you. You will not have a life of your own anymore. You begin to live to see people grow. You want to support when this... Ah, it's an affliction. Only the grace of God can help you. Don't pride yourself that 
No, I have some sons in the Lord. You don't you have not you don't understand. <laughs> you don't know it. it's not a title, it's a responsibility. There's a connection. And a family situation is established. A family that is stronger than your blood family because spirit is thicker than blood. And then something begins to happen. You have reinforcement that n- nobody knows about. And as, as, as the government of God grows on our inside, the strength of that family deepens. It deepens. So that, let's say, I call Stephen and I say, Stephen, come. And I lay hands on him and say, go to Naka. Do everything you have seen me do. And I'll check you after two years. I have no money to give you. No food to give you. But I strengthen you with that which God has strengthened me with. And I command the corn and the wine to respond to you. And I said, you will not be hungry. I saw you. The first day you get to Naka, somebody will give you a place to sleep. Oh. Oh. You just get there and a pool will begin to spring. Why? You are coming from a fountain, a fortress. You are coming from from Abdullah. Where charlatans are made champions. Those guys that became David's mighty men were charlatans. They were in debt. They drove them out. They didn't pay rent. And David gathered them. And after a few years, they became champions. So much so, that Shammah, the son of Agai, could take a sword against an entire galaxy. And the Bible said that the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And his hand was weary, but cleaved to the sword. That's the Davidic spirit that can make champions out of talatans. That's the Davidic grace that can see a giant in a man that is challenged by circumstances and situations. That's, that's, that's a Davidic grace that can see that even though this man has third class degree, his destiny has no stain of third class upon it. There's a hero, a giant, that's on his inside. And David has the technology to translate that man from how he was to his destiny in God. So that when he falls upon a spear, he can bring down 800 men. That's what a spiritual family is. And I say, go! And he goes in the strength of that. Naka will open to him. In fact, there's a land in Naka that nobody can sell. The owner can't build there. Angels will restrain him because that land, from the day he was sent, it had been allocated that that land is his, his own portion in the land of the living because he was sent forth by his spiritual family. Do you understand? There is power in the corporate fellowship. There is power in personal fellowship. But you may not know. You may play about it. Sorry, my time is up. Let's pray. My time is up. I, I, I would have loved us to, to do this, to work on this thing. My time is up. There's power. There's power. There is power. 